So clearly we're going through the whole COVID issue at the minute and as devastating as that is globally, there will be big winners and losers out of that because we're all moving to this kind of remote worker solution and basically to stop people going to our offices at the minute. But all we've done so far is kind of put in place remote worker 1.0, which is kind of make everybody go to work 10 miles down the road from their office. But actually remote worker 2.0 is when the execs go, hang on a minute, we've put all this crazy technology in and all these processes in to enable people to remote work. Why wouldn't we move that to a low cost environment, for example, as well? And can we leverage that? Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast. Today we're talking to Neil Howe. He's the author of Run Fast, the definitive guide to accelerating technology projects. The reason why I wanted to speak to Neil was because his brain, his experience in running complex projects in businesses large and small means that he's got an incisive way to think through and improve value in a business and simplify processes, simplify the way that we do things and engage people. We, you'll find from the conversation that our conversation moves from talking about uh, new working practices and more virtual remote uh, working to how we can uh, step into value engineering and improve every stage of the value chain in your business so that you can strip out any excess and you can increase the value that you deliver for the customer and the customer experience. Hey, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So straight into the conversation with Neil Howe, co-founder of the 1080 Group and um, author of Run Fast, The Definitive Guide to Accelerating Technology Projects. Hi, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast today. I'm with Neil Howe. Good to talk to you about his book, Run Fast. I'll talk with Neil about his book, Run Fast. And one of the things that, in addition to being the co-founder of 1080 Group, um, Neil is an award-winning delivery master at IT and technology projects. Neil, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Good morning, Gavin. Thank you for having me. Um, delivery master. You know, that's that's a phenomenal statement. <laughs> and, you know, so obviously... Uh, not every technology or IT program goes according to plan. In fact, most, certainly in my experience, turn up significantly over budget and late. Um, so why, why do you think that is? Um, I think, uh, well, IT has always had a bad press, I think, from, uh, from, when it, from when it started, really. And I think the, the challenge with it is it's, it's invoking change into a business. And, and, and people don't see it as change. They see it as just another widget or just another piece of software or just another thing. And, and the change piece and the, the organizational transition to that is what often gets missed. And people get hung up in the detail and they get hung up in the, uh, the technology and the platform and those other kind of geeky type things. But actually, um, if you break everything down to its most simple components, um, you're just changing something for the better. And as long as you grasp that as your core, then everything builds out from that. Um, but yeah, IT project got a terrible, terrible reputation, especially in the ERP space, which is where I um, tend to major. But um, and and typically they all fail because there's some unrealistic expectations, there's some lack of um, sort of a, a accountability or board level buy-in sometimes, and and the projects and programs aren't typically 
um, they're not typically sort of endorsed and and uh, and sort of people don't understand them um, for what they are from the outset. They write the business cases and they do all that kind of good ROI stuff, and then it goes into a bit of a black hole of delivery and and, and something falls out the back end when. The, the programs and projects that succeed are typically the ones that work with closely with the business. They're aligned um, with the business values and the business objectives, and, and people can actually understand what and why the project and program is is taking place. And um, and when you kind of get that buy-in and, and you get that dynamic working with the business and the technology, then um, then you absolutely deliver world-class programs. And you know what really sort of rang uh, out loud and clear for me from that description there is how important the people dynamic is to that in terms of their engagement, their attitude, and you know what comes out. And we'll talk about it in more depth later in the conversation. But you, in, as a core part of your process, your delivery model, you've got the people right at the core of that and the problem solving of the core, which is great. Um, and then how integral it is to the operations of the business. So it's not just this side project of IT. It's got to be fully integrated with buy-in from right from the top, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's um it's top down and bottom up actually. So it's a little bit like the forecasting model. So you've got the the people in the uh the ivory towers, so to speak, who are creating these crazy visions and ideas and um kind of coming up with these concepts that they want to get into their business. And then you've got the people at the bottom actually making it happen. And the two need to absolutely be seeing on the same hymn sheet. They need to be understanding why we're doing it. There needs to be a clear outcome. There needs to be a clear goal. They need to be all um, structured and set up to to be having that same vision. So basically, the the kind of senior leaders they're creating the rails um, of any program, and the individuals within it just bounce between them, and they can find their own path, and that's absolutely fine because that's the whole premise of agile delivery and all these kind of fast delivery mechanisms. But there are clear guidelines that say, look, we're going this way. This is where the road is facing, and we're going to celebrate when we get to the end of it. Uh, one of the things that also jumped out from uh, the back cover to me, uh, in addition to you being a delivery master, was the the company, the average company lifespan has dropped dropped from sixty five years to fifteen years. Mm. So that's quite a statistic, and um, I must admit, I I raised my eyebrows in reading that. I knew it dropped, but I didn't realise it had dropped by such a marked amount. I think I got two questions: Why do you think it's dropped by such so much, and what does that mean to businesses now alive today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you wind back fifty years or so, businesses uh, it was hard to break a business because the the speed of innovation and the speed of technology was quite slow. So those businesses that started out in the thirties, forties, fifties, etc., they had a good 20, 30 years of, of innovation and 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 it was it was it was all quite kind of heavy duty innovation. So it was things like new machinery or new this that and the other, and it was it was very expensive and very difficult to disrupt the marketplace and get into um, get into those sectors. So people just kept plowing ahead and that's why you have the behemoths of a company that exists like Procter and Gamble and uh, and Ford and, and all the motor companies etc because it's, it was just so hard to break into them but but over the last I don't know maybe 15 20 years or so there's absolutely been a shift um, in the whole digital world and the speed of innovation and if you look at um, uh, how quick it is now once once something new and groundbreaking groundbreaking sort of pops into the marketplace everybody jumps onto it straight away mm. and those that don't jump onto it straight away um, and carry on doing things the old way suffer and they mm. suffer faster than they could have ever imagined and and certain I mean the industrial revolutions as we've gone through various stages of uh, the last almost 150 years or so so we see this all the time so we, we we started out in the victorian era and nobody had electricity 
whoever put the electricity first into their factory absolutely killed the rest of their industry and then we came out of sort of the industrial revolutions and we came into like um the, the sort of war era and and everybody was then focused on war technologies pharmaceuticals medicines everything to help the war efforts so if you were first into any of those markets you absolutely took control of those um, and then coming out of them clearly we then went into the golden eras of um, space travel and technology and all those things that came out of it but literally the first person the first mover advantage is so key today um, that if you don't take it or you're not able to take it then you'll you, you'll find yourself stagnating and somebody would just snip at your heels and uh, and before you know it they'll be uh, they'll be buying you out <laughs> and that pace of technology of course it ever quickens doesn't it oh absolutely yes it's i mean it's, it's crazy now and i suspect it's even less than 15 years now it's and and life and world events have a big part to play in this as well so clearly we're going through the whole the, the covid um issue at the minute and and as devastating as that is globally there will be big winners and losers out of that because we're all moving to this kind of remote worker solution and we're all kind of deploying um, sort of remote working basically to stop people going to our offices at the minute. But all we've done so far is kind of put in place remote worker 1.0, which is kind of make everybody go to work 10 miles down the road from their office. But actually remote worker 2.0 is when the execs go, hang on a minute, we put all this crazy technology in and all these processes in to enable people to remote work. Why wouldn't we move that to a low cost um, environment, for example, as well, and can we leverage that? So I think we'll see a lot of organisations go well, in terms of low co- low cost, in terms of not needing office space and people working from home, or low cost in terms of other geographies in the world and offshoring. I think both. I think right. um, we'll. I mean, if you walk around London, there's a lot of empty buildings at the minute. I think you'll see a lot of empty commercial offices where the likes of the big, I don't know the KPMGs, the Deloitte's, the big companies that had all the big shiny offices go. We don't need these anymore, quite frankly. Mm. Um, and then there'll be another stage that goes. Actually, we've we've transactionalized what we do now to such a degree, and it's so well defined and documented because we've had to. Yes. We can actually move some of this to some of our slightly more better um, market locations as well. So we'll see yeah. a lot more diversification of businesses, and um, we'll see companies moving some of their operations out to the South Americas, the Asias, the South Africas, for example, because it, it's so proceduralized now and we've mm. put in place so much technology to do so. So again, it's like another stage of evolution. We're on the cusp of it at the minute and we'll absolutely see people that, um, we'll see winners and losers. So we'll get the people that go, do you know what? We're just going to send everybody back to work in our office versus their competitor who goes, do you know what? We're going to close all our offices down because there's no point having them. And all of a sudden one becomes more competitive and the other um, starts to struggle a bit. And one day, obviously there's, there's going to be um, a growth uh, just like, in, in the, the yeah, get my words right, there's going to be growth in video conferencing tools like uh, like Zoom. The reason I went over my words is I was jumping ahead to think about. I wonder if it's going to then really push forward augmented reality and so, sort of. Um, I've got to keep getting this image of, is it Tom Cruise in my to report moving things around the screen? And, <laughs> and you just wonder whether you, it, it's going to advance some of that uh, augmented reality conferencing and engaging and collaborating with teams that technology will develop. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, um, I mean, uh, we, I mean, Zoom and the other video conferencing platforms are probably only just the start of what's to come on this because people there is technology out there in the in the um, in certain sectors which are squirreled away, which are silly, silly expensive, which are starting to look at hologram type um, conferencing and all those types of things. And it will be very it will be very soon whereby you could theoretically spin up a, 
a, some kind of meeting place that's a hologram type thing and it's as yeah. if you're sat in a meeting place i can I, it yeah. won't be too far away at all but it's one of those things where it's not the commonplace at the minute so there's not much need for it the the sort of investment isn't quite there at the minute but it's but without a doubt there's and that minority of a great example because um, if you go to some big corporates, they actually have what they call digital um, digital conference rooms, and they have the big um, sort of panoramic screens all around the rooms, and you can click and drag and move things around and tap into things to see more detail. And that's how big corporates are running their kind of command and control centers, almost if you like, from these big um, almost like Starship Enterprises, yeah, um, where yeah. they can start to see the see their business in real time, which is uh, which is a bigger. Uh, big thing that everybody's moving towards one of the points you bring out in the book is about how important environment is in terms of any technology projects environment dictates performance uh, how oh, how is this changing now you know building on the conversation we've just had in terms of now you've got people that aren't uh, collaborating in a central space you know like apple went to great extents in the design of their it's kind of like spaceship hq so that people would bump into each other more chance of collaboration now we've got people more but obviously geographically dispersed working from home how do you th- how do you think you can create the environment that's conducive to successful div- uh, technology projects yeah absolutely so um and it's a big this is a big challenge so we've we've spent the last three or four months working from home it's it is isolating without a doubt you do feel detached from the rest of your workforce and um and and, and it's it's hard and you, and we have seen clearly a rise in some mental issues and things like that though, because it's it's a welfare issue now you're you're ineffectively sort of isolated out from the rest of your workforce so uh, but, but companies are beginning to respond so they're putting together um packages solutions technologies and things that enable thing people to collaborate on a bit more of a friendly basis so um and even silly things like we um our sales team for example they have a they have a, a daily get together at the end of the day just for 15 minutes just to check in with one another to say hi and just talk rubbish quite frankly yeah, but yeah. um there's there's no value add to the business as such but it's all about the social engagement that have you done this have you done that how did you get on with that how's your wife how's your child this kind of conversations um as well as the sort of more structured things like um the sort of the collaborations around um communities and and societies and almost that are spinning out of this as well so we're starting to see a lot of um um so part of the work we're sort of doing with 1080 is, is unifying um contractors together into one one central entity so that okay. companies can can uh and sort of talk and, and, and use them, if that makes sense. And, um, and part of the work we're doing with there is we're working out how can we best unify all these freelancers around the world on a collaborative platform so that they're getting more out of um, the platform than just work. And it's all about things like, what can you add to them? How can you get them to talk? How can you get them to learn from one another? How can you get them to sort of trade ideas? How can you get them to kind of talk about and showcase their experiences? And how can you grow as a, a, a gig economy almost um, and, and improve the lives of all of those people um, sort of around them at that point in time? And, and companies will do it internally um, as well. It's, um, it's, it's definitely the next wave of... Um, of HR almost, if you like, that's going to come through is how to glue the team together, even if they're in these remote locations. So you know, one top tip there is uh, regular sort of touch points amongst the team, even if it's just to kind of socialise the, the conversation that would happen to the water cooler or the coffee machine or whatever. You, you have to actually make that happen now. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, and, and we, you have to force it. And, and it's quite hard because it, there's a there's a hard um, there's a hard barrier to get over in the fact that everybody thinks a meeting should be a formal place to talk, and uh, and if you look at my diary, I've got a silly 
meetings throughout the day, but I've also got meetings that just say, I need to just talk to you because I'm a bit bored, quite frankly. And uh, and my business partner, he'll he'll put a meeting in the diary and we'll just end up talking because of the fact that we're not sat in the same offices together and we can't yeah. just talk about these things. And and yeah. I don't and, and it's really important when you're a small business to to kind of keep that culture alive and keep that um keep the enthusiasm and the excitement and the hunger there and all those things. And it's very easy for those things to go flat if you're not kind of talking in the same excitable forum that might be oh did you hear we've just we've just spoken to these people over here and they're really they're really enthused about it and they can and we've yes it really good and that's a great idea and and those kind of excitable conversations that they kind of keep people working for you as well actually yeah. are um are really key and um and, and it's funny people people joke about this whole um this last period about being um uh full of cause that we didn't know we needed and everybody's has zoom calls all over the place um, in our instance but actually i kind of welcome them a little bit to be honest it's as long as people are doing the job which is ultimately what they're there for um how they do the job i'm not really that worried about as long as it gets done and that's where um, another section of um what we sort of preach and focus on is is that we we deliver outcomes and if we can uh, move to an outcome-based enterprise then then actually we are um, we're in a better place. Um, it doesn't matter when you do it. Doesn't matter how you do it. Doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it, um, or how many hours you put into it. As long as it's done by this point in time, ready for the rest of the project, program, team, deliverable, etc. Um, that's fine. And, and I, think, uh, I, th- I think that attitude of outcome focus is, is absolutely essential when people are working uh, from home, when they're trying to juggle maybe young children and, and, and household stuff that's going on around them. And they might find themselves working at different ends of the day. So I think you're absolutely right. Having outcome fo- focus as, uh, as a management or a leadership style is essential. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and we have people that um, have young children. I have two young children under five, for example. So my mornings are completely right off until about nine o'clock in the morning when they're all at nursery and this kind of stuff. And yeah. it, uh, but at the same time, I'm working. I don't know from nine to eleven at night, for example, and yeah. uh, maybe yeah. do an occasional weekend to pick it up. Uh, but people actually like that. And I've have seen companies as bold as saying, literally, we're ripping up the thirty-seven and a half um, thirty-seven hour week, and we're moving to a literally work what you can when you can and just do your job <laughs> kind of mentality this is deliver on the outcomes totally yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic are you tired of the instability of your business do you want to stop cash flow challenges achieve stability in profit and build a business that you could sell do you want to introduce strategies that provide certainty of income reinvigorate you and your team so that you put an end to plateauing and get your business thriving again in every sector in every country in every state of the economy there are always businesses that book the trend and outperform the market it is possible to turn your business around and grow the profitability reach and impact of your business and put your business back on course for a worthy exit or rewarding future In my new book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, I show you how. I wrote this book for business owners who are putting so much into their business at the expense of time with their family and on their health and who are not getting the results that they desire. I have brought 25 years of experience working in businesses large and small and combining the disciplines of business strategy with mindset with scaling a business to bring you a proven way to scale your business with certainty. To grab your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, go to www.surviveandthrive.com I'll cover the cost of the book, you just cover the cost of shipping and handling. 
So head over to surviveandthrive.cc to get your free copy of the book. That kind of linked nicely into um, one of the parts in the book, one of your approaches is around um, the tempo of projects and the the sort of engagement of the teams. So cultivating a can-do attitude and setting the right and maintaining the right tempo. Uh, How do you do that? How how have you found that what works in terms of creating that can-do attitude and then um, gauging and maintaining the right tempo yeah so, so this is probably the trickiest part because what typically happens with any project or program or any piece of work actually for that nature is everybody starts off really enthusiastic they start off really really keen and and and, and there are no um, issues dramas problems etc but what they um but what happens quickly is there's sort of a peak and then there's sort of a fatigue of the reality of what, what this is what's happening and it's really important at that point, A, to recognize it because many people don't and many project leaders and things actually don't change their approach to this and they just carry on doing the same thing throughout the whole um, the whole life cycle of the project program, piece of work, whatever it might be. But it's, it's really important to actually recognize that there are natural peaks and troughs in any piece of work. So you will start, I mean, if you took a simple... Um, uh, exercise of I don't know writing an article for a uh, piece of social media, for example. You'll start off all enthusiastic. You'll write for about ten minutes, then you'll go, oh gosh, this is a bit tiring, and you get a bit fatigued. You'll you start to think about it a bit more, and your your energy levels will drop a bit. So you go off and make a coffee, and then you'll come back, and then you'll try and pick it up again. And 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 th- those natural cycles are part of human nature. You can't fight those. Um, but the trick is is to when those cycles go into a lull, is to find a mechanism to bring them back up again. So yeah. we, we know that projects and programs start effectively and, and with enthusiasm. And the typical first things that um, obstruct and cause those sort of lulls, if you like, are when things get hard, uh, when there are challenges, when there are problems, when there are issues, everybody naturally goes, all oh, right, okay, um, how are we going to solve this then? And you can, you can pick it up almost in daily meetings almost. And, and it's important at that point to have something to either change your state, change your mindset, change change anything at all because people are, are kind of locked into this kind of, um, okay, right, well, that's a bit tricky, isn't it? And and if you don't kind of change that dynamic somehow or another and lift them out of that way of thinking and working, you, you, you quite frankly, you'll never get out of it because once people are in that rut, they don't come out of it very easily. Um, and it's quite difficult to find somebody who can consistently remain positive across the course of a program and if you do find them they're the people to kind of lean on a little bit to say look let's do it like bob's doing it let's do it like janet's doing it let's talk about this how 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 is how is their their department so effective at what they're doing rather than what you're doing Um, and how do we solve these problems and 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 show from a leadership perspective that you're committed to helping them get through problems is is a really key part of it Um, too many you've times got, you've, got, you've got that person or those people that are still managed to maintain the positivity and enthusiasm how do you deal with those that are disengaged because it's too hard and I, I know there's an uplift from the positive people but still there's some people that are quite staunch i've had enough of this and it's a tough one for leaders um that because th- there comes a point where you may at the very extreme end you may need to think whether they're the right person for the program that you're running Mm-hmm. And it's a tough call to make, and I don't know many leaders that would be prepared to stick their neck out on it, especially if they're quite a high-performing individual as well. Um, 
<clears throat> but it's important. You have to have the right mindset in the team. And you have to, and I think there's some statistics out there that say something like for every one negative person, they in fact impact 12 others. But for every one positive person, they only impact five others. So negative people are really, really detrimental to success. And, and, and finding those and addressing those or removing them is, is, is perfectly plausible and perfectly acceptable in terms of running a high-velocity piece of work. Yeah. Another area that you, you cover on is around process-driven simplicity. And you share three specific tools in, in your book, Run Fast, around how you can create simplicity. And you know, looking at those three tools, uh, they're so val- valuable and relevant right now to all businesses, whether they're doing a technology project or not. So can you just take us through the three tools that you use to help drive simplicity? Yes, yeah, so, and we've probably changed a few of them actually along the way because the the, the 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 way the world is evolving is so fast. You have to keep evolving these things as well. And and um, one of the key things we always sort of break down to is um, is is what we're doing the sort of uh, and, uh, and the, the tools aside, um, we always look at: is it the are we delivering a minimum viable product all the time? And and if we're delivering a minimum viable product all the time, it enables us to do what we're doing a lot faster and a lot more agile. And then we can add the bells and whistles and a nice veneer around the edge of it later on. And there's a lot of sort of Japanese principles around kaizen and all those other clever sure. clever aspects and things that were um, born to of in the sort of manufacturing automotive world and they're all absolutely valid but they're all fundamentally um coming down to uh breaking things down to the smallest possible components delivering on those components and then always looking to improve on them afterwards and there's a great story about um um i think it might have been either toyota or one of the other automotive companies out there and one of their um one of their workers managed to stop their production line and he did so in a way that basically broke their production line. And rather than the management of the organization getting frustrated with that individual and basically reprimanding him for basically stopping the output of their cars, which cost them however many hundreds of thousands, um, they actually came around to him and said, look, well done for spotting a hole in our problem because we've got a problem here that actually we should have seen and somebody should have solved to prevent that from happening and you've actually just identified it to us so they took a completely different mindset on it they went to him and said look thank you we need to put something in place to stop that from happening again um and lo and behold it hasn't funnily enough um, and that individual still stayed with the company now i don't know yeah. many companies that would no, do that quite absolutely frankly. um that but it's all about very refreshing mindset yeah. but, but that's that's again it's about constant improvement there's a failure a point of a single point of failure here so we need to find a way of addressing that so it doesn't happen again yeah absolutely failure is just as important as success in business and the importance of failure is to fail fast as well especially if you're a new business into a new industry that's disrupting and playing with things is the faster you can fail the better because then you can change for the better from that perspective so what areas of business, I think, I know that your, your area specialism is, is technology project, but of course it impacts so many different areas of business. Right now, as a business owner like, like you are, um, what processes or areas of business should people be trying to get back to the basics and, to, and what sort of tools should they be using to 
um, help cut through about where they might need to make changes and improvements? Mm. So there's a great um, concept called value engineering. And value engineering basically says, look, take your business, take every process in your business and work out what actually adds value um, to your end customer. So there's this whole kind of customer centricity and all those things. But, but work out how you start from day one to day 10, let's say, and all the steps that the, the, the product or the service flows through to get that to your customer. And, and, that, and at every one of those points, there should be more and more value added to that customer um, experience until they receive your product. And then after, it becomes sort of customer service and value driven. And the really key part about that is it also then identifies the breakpoints and the weaknesses in your organization as well. So, for example, when sales hand off to operations or operations hand off to manufacturing or whatever it might need to be, you start to spot those um those potential breakpoints. And if you then do some digging into those breakpoints and ask the what ifs and uh, the scenario sort of um, planning, etc., you start to see how weak your chain of events could be. And actually, if uh, if something like coronavirus, which is completely outside of everybody's control, happened, how many of those pieces of the chain will break? And you're you're building contingency and and sort of. Um, uh, some depth of um, consistency into your organization to, sh- to, to basically prove that given any external factor, you're able to still provide value in each of those steps all the way through the process. And then you kind of look at all the other stuff that happens all the way around the, those, that value chain and you go, well, how mu- what is the ROI on that? How is that helping the journey? How is that improving the customer experience? How wh- what is that adding to our um, adding to our product ultimately? And and there will be some that absolutely need to be there. So clearly things like the supporting functions, HR um, and financing, etc. But there'll be some that don't. And you'll look at them and you'll go, well, do you know what? Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe we should test that. Maybe we should consider ramping this down and ramping that up instead because that's actually a better way of doing it or that's the, that's the new way of doing it, the more thoughtful way of doing it. And it's just about finding those um, uh, sort of uh, flexible switches, if you like, and, and, and playing with them, quite frankly, and asking the leaders of those functions to, to investigate and improve their own departments and, uh, and areas to make, to make their own business areas better. That, that that's a, a a really important point then about the value chain and looking throughout every element. So, w- what would you define as a stage in the chain? If somebody who's not familiar with the topics like value engineering and value chain, so how would you define what a value chain is or what every stage is? So, uh, so I would literally, um, I would almost start from we have a cold contact if you like that we want to sell to and then we have a uh, at the other end of the chain we have uh, a customer that is satisfied warm they love the company they love the product they're they're a repeat buyer they're um, they're reading our material they they're a proper fan almost an advocate and it's about working through the steps that they go through from being cold all the way through to that journey and it will be different for different businesses but broadly speaking you're going to go through some kind of marketing approach to warm them up you're going to go through some kind of sales approach to get a product in front of them or a service in front of them and then you're going to go through some kind of operational aspect to deliver that to them be that manufacturing be that service delivery be that um, a project or a program or whatever it might be and then you're going to end up with some kind of handover to them and and that handover to them is it might be a royal mail package through the door but it might also be a, a transition into a business service or transition into a business entity um, and then you're obviously transitioning from the, the handover into the kind of customer support customer services thereafter if that makes sense and 
at the, each of those building blocks could have hundreds of extra steps in the, in the chain underneath it. Um, but it's important to start high and work down because you, um, you need to understand um, corporately and strategically how you're flowing this thing through, through, your, through your company. You need to understand yeah. your, your company's flow, if that makes sense, of value yeah. Yeah. Um, before you go into the detail. Yeah, okay. There's so much in there, and obviously you, you lay out in your book, Run Fast, The Definitive Guide to Accelerating Technology Projects, an approach to get projects to run faster. But also, in your work in the 1080 group, how is it you help people with complex projects? Yeah, so, t- so 1080 was born um, to try to um, help technology, um, help people who are running technology projects access the best possible resource in the entire world. So the big problem that um, all customers have is that they can only operate with what they know and not with what they don't know. So we um, and and we 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 see this all the time in any kind of projects or programs that we're running and. Um, and how I used to deal with this um, when I used to be running them was I used to open my black book up, I used to phone all my friends and I used to say, look, I need the best person who can do this. This is this is my three contacts. I'm going to phone them and see if they're available. Um, the problem is, is that the, the, you're locked into your, your geography at that point in time and you're locked into a number of other factors like market rates, um, uh, who you know, who you don't know, um, you, and, and they may be available, they may not be available, and 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 it's all a bit, um, uh, it's all a bit individual rather than a bit more broad from that perspective. So, capitalising on sort of some of the experiences we've we've had and seen, and speaking to colleagues and things, we created um, 1080, which is basically a, a skills marketplace. And what um, 1080 is is it's a um, it's a uh, a marketplace where we have um, everybody who's a freelancer. So everybody who's a technology freelancer is registered on the marketplace or can register on the marketplace. They upload their skills, their profiles, their references. Think of it as a, um, a, a kind of LinkedIn, but on several layers of um, um, complexity, if that makes sense, because you, you're you wanting these people to prove to you that they are a, a bona fide, a valid consultant or expertise in their field. Um, we then have some clever algorithms that rate them and, and kind of prove those um, prove those verifications, if you like. And then the clients who sign up to us, they're, um, they're able to search that pool. They're able to post work requests. And we always, always insist that outcome-based work requests because we don't particularly want to be time materials because that's just recruiting at the end of the day. Um, and we connect the two together. So we have customers that work in that are based in the UK and they want to put together a team of individuals that might want to be delivering a particular SAP project, for example. And they might that team uh, might be based in people in the South Americas, the Africas, the Asias, the, the they might be based in Scotland, it doesn't really matter. But but what the platform does is it brings them all together and it enables them all to talk in a common language and and, and operate as a common team, if you like. So we've we've kind of fortuitously um, benefited from the whole kind of remote working because everybody's transitioned to, sure, to yeah. the platform and, um, and and people can actually use the platform to find the people that they need. But our kind of mantra is um, our vision is to empower people to, uh, uh, to improve the world. That's kind of where we, where we, where we kind of came from. And from an SAP perspective, I think something silly like 98% of the world's goods flows through an SAP system at some point in there. Wow. Which wow. is just crazy when you think about it, but but the cost of running those things is high. And yeah. Tenator's put together to basically say, look, there are all these people around the world that you could use. 
don't just stick to your own geography or don't stick to your own black book. Go and go and explore all these other opportunities and bring a team together that can that can basically um, do pretty much uh, what you're asking, probably to a standard better than what you're asking as well, because you're now working with the best in the world, not just yeah. the best in the UK, for example. That you know about. So if people want to find out more about 1080 Group, how do they do that? Yeah, so um, they should check out the website. So 1080.group is, the, um, is our website. Um, lots of collateral on there. There's also lots of blogs and things that you should read as well, all on the same themes that we've been speaking about um, during this session. That's fantastic. And um, again, the title of your book, if any of you want to learn a methodology to accelerating technology projects, then you want Run Fast by Neil Howe, H-O-W. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're hugely busy and I really appreciate it. And that was a really engaging conversation where we cover things like value engineering and um, Kaizen and virtual remote, uh, virtual working and you know, remote working. So we, we covered some ground in the time that we were together. So thank you so much. Thanks, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms. Enjoy more success and create more impact.